0: I'm going to review the first three um, very fast. We're going to pray and we're going to jump into the next three. The first three are, number one that we saw is that Jesus, and I don't have un- not time to explain everything. You're just going to have to go to iTunes if you want and, and type in Remedy Church and you can listen to it again. The first one is that Jesus has always existed. Therefore, Christianity has always existed. And the other thing that we saw is that Jesus is God. Not, not, not just a guy that lived But Jesus is God. He has eternally lived. Always been. So that's kind of the first thing that we saw. The next thing that we saw, and as I said, I can't unpack it as much as I want to. I've already done it. Uh, The next thing is, um, the second one is that Jesus is a man. So John's telling us, in some of the aspects of Christianity, we have to believe that this guy, Jesus, um, is the central point of Christianity. We named it after him. or It's been named after him. We didn't do it. Um, And Jesus is God, and Jesus is man. And then the third thing that we saw is that Jesus is the only way for life and salvation. We saw that at the end of the verse, chapter one, concerning the Word of Life. We know that John also wrote the Gospel of John, in John fourteen six, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes into the Father, no one comes to the Father except through me. And so one of the things that we know is that Jesus is God, Jesus is man, and there is no other way to be saved by any other means besides Christ. Jesus is the only way for salvation. Those are the first three that we saw. Now, the next three that we're going to look at are today. Um, and one emphasis, which you should have seen one of these around you or should have gotten one on your way in, hopefully. It says, Remedy Church Community. And on the back side, it says, I want community. Um, one of the things that we're going to try to strive for today and really help you understand is that your walk as Christians, your walk with Christ is absolutely essential. Um, and it has to be done in community. That's one of the things we're going to be talking about today. Um, but let me pray, and as I said, as we're praying, I want you to pray that God would take some of these things that you've probably heard, and that He, he would um, push them down deep into your, and my, um, our heart that wants to rebel against the things of Christ a lot of the times. Even though we're Christians, sometimes we, we desire our own way, and that He would take some of these new truths, or truths we've heard, and and give us inexpressible joy for Him. Let me pray, and, and you pray for that as I pray. Lord. I thank you so much for today. I thank you that you have brought us together to worship. Lord, I, uh, I just am constantly amazed as I try to consider the gospel and consider what it means to be saved by you. Consider what it means that you have sent your own son for me on my behalf. I am sinful and you made him who, who knew no sin to become sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. So you took all of my sin, and I get all of your righteousness. In my mind, it doesn't seem fair, but that's what you wanted. You wanted to save us, and you wanted to pay for our sin um, on the cross. And so I pray, Lord, that as we kind of look at some of these truths, as we unpack what it means to be a Christian, and I pray, Lord, that you would take these truths and that you would um, just open our hearts and open our minds for maybe the very first time or for the 20th time to some of these things and just amaze us at how good you are we pray these things in jesus name amen whenever i was growing up i used to uh hang out with this guy named jerry um and jerry jerry's parents and he they were just a kool-aid drinkers that's what they drank um whenever we would be outside you know playing um whatever that means and we would get so thirsty that we would go into his house um and jerry never had anything else besides kool-aid and so we would go in there and we would just would be you know our tongues were literally about to fall it's like someone shoved about a thousand cotton balls into our mouth and we couldn't even feel anything we we're so thirsty and we would we desire to drink so bad so we'd go in there and we'd pull up in the fridge and, and they had a rule in jerry's house is um whoever drinks the rest of the kool-aid has to make the next picture and so jerry's dad <coughs> he was just a wrongdoer um he would get the, the pitcher and he would pour it out until there was a few drops and so he didn't have to make the next picture and so Never did it fail. When we were about to die of thirst, we'd rip it open and we'd grab the pitcher and then it does, that'd be it. And Jared, man, dad, I can't believe he did this again. He would get so mad and we just got ripped off every time. His dad had perfected the art of leaving like a drop. You're like, you couldn't say, why didn't you make some more Kool-Aid? There's more in there. And so we would always be frustrated with his dad. Um, and we'd always feel kind of ripped off about how, uh, he was kind of wrong us. And so, I think that sometimes that that idea of being ripped off has been imported into Christianity. We think, all right, now that I'm a Christian, I'm kind of getting ripped off of all the things I really want to do. All my all my fun was going to happen if I had gotten to live the way I wanted, but now that I'm a Christian, I'm getting ripped off. I don't ever get to do the fun stuff anymore. Look at them; they have the fun, and so. Um, as we go into these things, I don't want you to think that um, being a believer is somehow some kind of ripped off scenario where you don't get to live life to the full. As, as a matter of fact, that we'll see um, your fullest joy, your most full joy comes in being a Christian. All right, let's look at this. Um, verse two. Now, in verse one, he says, that which was from the beginning which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. So John's saying, we have seen Jesus, no doubt. He's speaking to the Gnostics. I can't really unpack that, but he's speaking to the Gnostics. And, he, and then he says, um, the, this life was made manifest and we have seen it. So he's talking about this Christ, the life that Jesus himself was made manifest to us. We have, we have seen him. And he says, and we have seen it and testified to it. And proclaim to you the eternal life. And proclaim to you the eternal life. Um, and we can see kind of a, a little chain happening in those three words. First, we see it. And when we see it, we testify to it. And as we testify to it, we begin proclaiming to you the eternal life. Alright, so here's... here's And this is review. Is it Here's the funny part. This is such review that all of us know this, yet few of us actually live this out. Here's the fourth one. This is a spoken or proclaimed faith. Christianity is a spoken, proclaimed faith. What does that mean? That means God has chosen in His divine omniscience, and His, His, His divine wisdom, the way that Christianity moves or progresses or, or the way I got saved and the way the next person gets saved and the next person gets saved, He has designed it that we, humans, are the ones that are going to go and tell people. He doesn't design it so that Jesus ghosts just pop up to people and say, hey, here's the way to get saved. That's not how he's designed it. He has designed it that you and I would be so overjoyed in love with Christ that we want to go and proclaim it to people. And the next person gets saved by us. And so over the last 2,000 years, the way people have gotten saved predominantly is through us proclaiming our faith to other people. That's so obvious, and yet I wonder how many people you proclaim your faith to. I'm not saying how many people you've led to Christ, okay, because I understand that you can proclaim your faith day in, day out, and and never see salvation. But if this is is a design, if this is the way that people are going to come to know Christ in your life, that you proclaim it, the implications are that you should be proclaiming it. If you're a believer, you have to kind of follow along this, this idea that we've seen it. We're going to testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life. Let me let me unpack a couple of these words here. Testify. This word testify, um, I can't pronounce it. It's In, in Greek, it's martyrein, which is where we get our word martyr from. Now, don't import our meaning of martyr back into the first century. That's not what it meant. But it didn't mean someone who died for the faith. It just simply meant that someone who was bearing testimony about what they've seen. Martyrane. We are supposed to be going and bearing testimony. Now, what happened is they were bearing testimony of what they had seen. Then they started getting killed. They were called the testifiers or the Martyrane then became martyrs. But that's not what it meant. It, it, but it did mean that they testified. All right. The next one is that proclaim. This word proclaim. This is amazing. Um, Angolomain. I can't pronounce it very well. Very good. But that Lomain has turned into the word evangel, um, evangelism. So... This proclaiming in its root has the word evangelism in it. Evangelism simply means to go and evangelize or go tell people. You can't use a word to define a word, I've noticed, but I know some people that do that. It's really funny. Um, whenever we're ha <sighs> Our children, you know, they ask definitions for stuff. And so sometimes Christy or I, um, they'll ask us, what does this mean? And we'll use that word to define it. So it's always like, well, that's not very helpful. Um, JC's like, that doesn't help me at all. Um, anyway, so Anglo-Lomain means to evangelize or to tell people about what you believe. To tell them, to proclaim it. So as Christians, we are to be proclaiming the faith to people. This is a spoken, proclaimed faith. Um... Let me, let me read something to you and ask you, after we read this, how you and I are doing at this. If you have your Bible, go ahead and switch over to Acts 4. Um, Acts 4 is just about, I don't know, 10 books to the left or so. It's the uh, fifth book in the New Testament, the fifth book. Um, right after Jesus had died and had ascended into heaven, um, the disciples... Had started telling people about Christ. They're trying to set up the church telling people about Christ. And in Acts 4, it says they were speaking to people. um, I'm in 4 1. They were speaking to people about the priests, and they became, in verse 2, greatly annoyed that they were doing, that they were telling people about Christ. Um, And in verse 3, it says they got arrested, um, but they didn't care that they got arrested. In verse 4, it says those who had heard the word believed, and almost 5,000 came to Christ. And that time when they were doing that, so we can see they're they're telling people about Christ. They're getting arrested. They don't care. Um, but five thousand people got saved. And then you can see over here <clears throat> after that in verse six, seven. After they got arrested, they they brought them to the to the, the kind of the council. Like, why are you doing this? Why are you telling people about Jesus? Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, looks at him and says, "Rulers of the people and elders, verse nine. If we are being examined today concerning a bad deed done to a crippled man because they had just healed a man." By what means this man has been healed, let it be known to you, n- known to all of you, that the people of Israel, that th- by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing well before you. So he's telling you, it's only by Jesus that this man can be healed. Verse 12, and then he tells us the same thing, John 14, 6 sa- tells us, there is, and there is salvation and no one else and no other name under heaven in which given among men which people can be saved. No one can be saved unless they believe in Jesus and Jesus alone. And then verse 13, it says that they were speaking with boldness, even though they were uneducated. These guys were just fishermen. They were speaking with boldness when it came to proclaiming their faith. Because they had been, look what verse 13 says, and these men recognized that they had been with Jesus. Now they had physically been with Jesus, but I wonder what it would look like if we would make sure that we spend time or that we are with Jesus every morning. I wonder what our boldness would look like. Here's where it starts getting awesome. Um, so they, they tell them, uh, you need to stop doing these things. You need to stop telling people uh, about Jesus. We're not really comfortable with that. So verse 17, but in order that they may spread no further to these people, let us warn them to, to speak no more to anyone about this name. So they called him in and they charged them um, not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. And this is awesome. Look what Peter says. Um, but Peter says, uh, and Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God, you must judge. I wonder if all of us could take this verse right here and let this be our stance on evangelism. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. For we cannot but help but speak of what we have seen and heard. And then, 21, look what happened. They had that attitude, look what happens. And when they had further threatened them and and let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people... For all were praising God for what had happened. For the, for the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. They said, stop, stop talking about Jesus. And they said, we can't help it. I mean, there's really no other way that we can, that we can live this life. We have to do it. And, and I'm curious, what would happen if we kind of took this attitude? I mean, the truth is that Christianity is, is a spoken or proclaimed faith. It's just the assumption as a Christian. We are supposed to be doing it. But for, for a lot of people, it seems to be not, not the case. And I wonder if we would be with Jesus, if maybe we would find ourselves saying, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. It's a spoken faith. It's proclaimed. And if you're a Christian, you're supposed to be doing it. You're supposed to be doing it. Alright, switch over back to 1 John Um, so that's the fourth one the fourth one is that this is a spoken and proclaimed faith now I'm going to um, I'm going to skip number five and come back to it so we're going to go to the sixth one Um, and we're going to come back to it now look at verse four here's the sixth one and we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete now I have I have four children um, zero, two, four, and six Um, And one day, the six year old uh, was was down on the floor crying, you know, upset about something, didn't get away. I I wasn't there. This is all kind of hearsay from my wife. Um, She's down on the floor crying. And uh, Karis, my four year old, walks in and, and says, Why is JC on the floor crying? It's the six year old. Why is she on the floor crying? And Christy answers, Because she's having a pity party. Now, all Karis heard was party. That's all she heard. And so she says, I want a pity party. Now, she doesn't know what the word pity means. She's, I want a pity party. All she heard was party. And we are all wired, just like her, from the very beginning. We like having fun. We like joyous things. We like happiness. And we all want to have a party. I mean, there's just no doubt about it. Just like my four-year-old. I want a pity party. Um, we may not want a pity party, but we all are wired. God has wired you to have joy, to seek joy, and to pursue after joy. Now, what we're going to see here, um, that real joy only comes in Christ. I was listening to uh, John Piper, and he was kind of talking about John whenever he was saying that we're writing these things that our joy may be complete. He goes, John is just an unabashed Christian hedonist. So he has his, I mean, that's a pretty strong statement, and which is true. John, um, when we talk, hedonist just means the lover of pleasure. I don't know if you meant that. So in the philosophical kind of secular world, hedonism is, is, a, is a pretty negative term, I mean, it's really pretty negative. But he says, Christian hedonism is that we find our deepest joy, our highest pleasure in Jesus. And that's the only place that we can find it, is in Jesus. Um, any other pursuit of joy or, or pleasure is always um, really idolatry, unless it's put in Jesus. So he's saying John is an unabashed Christian hedonist, that he finds his highest joy in Jesus, and Jesus alone, and he knows that's the only place that he can do it. Because he understands, just like my four-year-old, that that's that's the way we're all wired. Every one of us is constantly seeking after joy. Whether it's in Christ or not is a different issue. But you are, just like I am, always seeking after what's going to make you the, the most joyous. All right, so, he tells us here, and we are writing these things that our joy may be complete. So here's the sixth one. This is the sixth one. Christianity completes our joy. It's what all human hearts are searching for. Christianity completes our joy. Um, we're selfish people. We're constantly seeking after our own joy. Now, as I said, some of us seek in the wrong things. So you can, um, you can hook up with your boyfriend or girlfriend for a while, thinking that's going to bring joy. But in the end, you're going you're to become aware that that is not where you're going to find... You will eventually get to a place where your heart is no longer being fooled by that. And you're going to say, this is not the joy. As a matter of fact... This, this makes me feel worse inside than ever. You can, um, you can keep cheating on your tests. You can keep lying to your boss. You can keep um, lying to people. You can keep gossiping. You can keep being as materialistic as you please, thinking that stuff is going to make you happy. You just need another iPhone. Or you just need another computer. You just need another Mac I have a Mac, but it's funny, you know. I was just thinking about it. Um, how can we trust something that's got the fall of man on it? I mean, it's got the picture of the the bitten apple out of there. Like, We just like Macs. They're so awesome. It's got the fall of man design on it. But anyway, um, you can keep going after things that have treasure, that are kind of created. But in the end, the answer is not getting more of that. The answer is not finding another cell phone to make yourself happy because you don't like yours anymore. Or... A flat screen TV because your regular 2T, or whatever. I mean, fill in whatever makes you the most happy. Those things are always temporal. They are not long lasting. And only, only everlasting joy comes in Christ. So don't keep trying to fill your mind with materialism, or lust, or your your spouse, or your relationship with your boyfriend or girlfriend, or even your children. I mean, these are good things. Good gifts from God. But if that becomes what you worship, that becomes what you find your joy in, that's not God's design. Christianity completes our joy. Specifically, Jesus completes our joy. It's what all human hearts are searching after. Um, and look what he says here. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Our joy may be complete. Or our joy may be... Found in its, in its fullest, is maybe another way to say it. I was reading a commentary on a guy named John Calvin, a guy that lived maybe about 500 years ago, kind of start, was part of the Reformation. Um, he said this when he was looking at this verse. He said, by full joy, or by our joy being made complete, he expresses more clearly the complete and perfect happiness which we obtain through the gospel. So that means um, we're not just talking, when we say about, our our joy being found in Jesus. This is not some kind of intangible, subjective, um, boyfriend, girlfriend, love deal that we have with this guy named Jesus that we don't know, that we've never seen, but we just have these, these warm fuzzies in our heart when we think about him. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the objective truths of the gospel. Jesus came and died for us in our place. We were to be cast out eternally, separated from God, Because of our sin. And even though we were still sinners, God sent His Son to die for us. The penalty that was eternal death was paid for us. And because of that, we don't have to go to hell anymore. We don't have to suffer the horrible, terrible consequences of that. That Jesus died for us. All of our sin was put on Him. All of God's wrath was poured out on Him on the cross. Therefore now, we can have His righteousness. He lived a perfect life. All of his righteousness then given to us. That's where our joy is rooted in the gospel. And that's what he's telling us. When he says, he expresses more clearly and perfect happiness, which we can obtain through the gospel. When that truth lands on us, that I don't have to be, I don't have to be tortured, I don't have to be punished. All of his righteousness is given to me. So I can stand before the God that I have spit my face and spit at his face in. I can stand at him and say. And he says to me, you are 100% righteous. All of my righteousness has been given to you. All of my holiness has been given to you. That's when we find our joy. Because God has not only given it to us, but made the way for it to be given to us through Christ. So when we're talking about joy, it's joy in the gospel that we are no longer slaves to sin, but now are slaves to righteousness. Is the way the Bible is speaking in Romans 6. That we are now... Followers of Christ, and our sins never counted against us um, there's a verse in Matthew six where it says, "Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also, um, which means when we truly understand what God has done for us um, in the gospel, on the cross, when we truly understand it, which we'll never fully but as we more and more understand that was my death that was that was what I should have d- done, that is what I should have been killed. But yet He gave me His righteousness. The more and more we understand that and more and more we are finding our deep lasting joy in that truth and now we can walk in fullness. Now we can walk in sanctification. Now we can walk in being more like Jesus. The more our joy just explodes. The, our jo- the more our joy is made complete because we are walking in this beautiful gospel. The gospel is not that you get to go to heaven. That's part of it. That's, that's part of it. But the gospel, the good news is that you get Jesus. If Jesus wasn't in heaven, but somewhere else, then I would want to go there. I mean, that's where he is. So, when we tell people, you need to go to heaven, we don't just mean the place. We're not saying the greatest thing in the world is a place. We're saying the greatest thing in the world is Jesus. The gospel is not just that we get to go to heaven, to this place. It's great because he's there. That's what makes it great. So that the gospel is that we get God, We get Jesus when we die. Alright, so that's, that's the uh, sixth one. Now I want to I transition back over to the fifth one. Um, and it says this. Go ahead and look in verse 3. Verse 3. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you. So, we've seen Christ, we've heard about Jesus, and we're proclaiming it to you. Now this is, this is really interesting. We're proclaiming it to you for a reason. We want you to hear it, and there's a reason. Look what he says. So that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. So notice there's two, there's two scenarios of fellowship being illustrated to us. One is fellowship with us, and one is fellowship with God and His Son, Jesus Christ. So here's the fifth one. We are, as we go proclaim the spoken faith, number four, as we go proclaim this, we are inviting them into fellowship, all right? This is it. Christianity invites others into fellowship. Christianity, now, number five is going to have two parts. There's going to be an A and B here, okay? But I just already gave them to you if you were following with me, all right? This is, this is again, review. As we go proclaim, we are inviting people into fellowship, all right? We're going to talk about those two things in a second, um, but I want you to, I want you to understand um, that fellowship fellowship um, is never, in John's mind, fellowship is never to be some kind of just Jesus thing. Look what he says again in verse, verse whatever we were saying, 3. <laughs> um, this, that we have seen and heard and proclaimed to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. I've heard lots of people say... Um, I don't really need to go to church to believe in Jesus. Um, I just, ha- me and God have our little deal. Me and Jesus are tight. Um, I don't go to the church thing. I don't really like the church anyway. It's a bunch of hypocrites. Well, no duh, we are. Um, but I don't really need that. I just have my own deal with Jesus. And you know, I go out and uh, on Sunday night and I walk around in the, and look at the trees and think about Jesus. And maybe I read my Bible by myself. Um, notice that in, in, in John's mind and all the first century, it is never their thought that Christianity is some kind of away from the fellowship of saints thing. It's always in their, in their mind that you are to have the church and Jesus together. If you want to grow... As a Christian, if you want to be more and more like Jesus, if you're a Christian and you know that God wants you to be more and more like Him, it has always, always, always been His design that that happened in the context of a church. Yes, you have to have Jesus, but you have to have Jesus in the context of fellowship with other believers. It's always been the, it's always been the design. Alright, so, um, the first one is fellowship with us. That's A. Fellowship with us, which is the church. We're inviting people into fellowship with us. I'm going to talk about the B in just a second. Um, I want to give you a quote about fellowship with us and what it should look like. And then Ben, um, our creative director, um, is going to come out and talk to us just for a second about this specific one. God's really been dealing with his heart. He and I have been talking um, a lot, really specifically in regard to this over the last few weeks and what he says is is really good and I was like I can't say that like you I just want you to come out and say that so he's going to come out and he's going to share it with us um let me read you a quote this is by a guy named James Boyce um we're inviting people into fellowship with us all right the church and remedy church or whatever church or the church universal which is just all the church all the people that are christians together the church and we're going to see this <coughs> the entire time in this book is to be marked by love i mean if there was anything that we should have we should be abounding in love all right not just right doctrine listen to this quote doctrine meaning you know all the right things about the bible you can you can tell all the little whatever doctrine without love is a bitter orthodoxy orthodoxy just means that you have the right doctrines you have all the right things but he's saying it's bitter It doesn't seem right. Um, Doctrine without love is a bitter orthodoxy. It is the kind of truth that is rigorously perfect. So you know all the stuff. And then he says, in a sense. So you know all the stuff. And it's rigorously perfect, in a sense. Because you know all the right doctrines and the right answers to all the questions of the Bible. But you don't have love. And look what he says. But which does not win anyone. Just because you know all the stuff, just because you know all the doctrine of the Bible and you're not loving. He's saying, and I'm going to agree, it's going to be very difficult to win anybody to Jesus if you don't love them. Why would they want him if you're if you're not loving? So we are inviting people into fellowship with us. So Ben, Ben's going to come on out and he's going to kind of give us some ideas about what we're talking about when we say um, inviting people into fellowship with us.
1: Hey guys, um, like Fudd said, my name is Ben, for those of you that don't know me. Um, over the last two or three weeks, there's been a couple resources that I've been looking at. Um, one is a blog um, that was a kind of an interview with a community groups pastor um, at Mars Hill Church in Seattle, and the other um, is three sessions by a guy named Steve Timmis from English called Total Church Training, and most, if not all, of... Um, what I'm going to be talking to you guys about comes from those two sources. So just wanted to, um, tell you that, and God's really just been using those things to challenge me and convict me of some things in regard to community, its purpose, and what it really looks like, how it looks like for us as a church and as a body to practice these things. Um, so the first thing I want to just read this, the very first question on that blog that I mentioned, um is what is the purpose, the main purpose of Mars Hill Community Groups? And this is Pastor Brad House's response. He says, to glorify Jesus. Most people think of community group participation in terms of what we get out of it. Friendship, belonging, accountability, fellowship, and these things are great, but they are fruit from lives lived to the glory of God. If we make the fruit the purpose, it will end in idolatry. Jesus is the point always. And that was an incredible reminder for me that no matter what we're doing, whether it's a meeting, whether it's a local missions project, everything we're doing, the purpose of that is to glorify Jesus. There's no other purpose. There's no greater purpose. There's no, nothing else matters except Jesus getting glory in those things. So as we walk through this, keep that in mind. That's always the foundation. That's always the purpose is Jesus. Um, The second thing Something that Steve Timmons talked about in those total church trainings. He said, um, one thing, and this is a bit of a paraphrase, but something that community is about is getting the gospel deeper into Christians and wider through Christians. Getting the gospel deeper into Christians and then spreading it wider to the lost through Christians. Um, And our lives together should be founded on, shaped by, formed by the gospel. Um, in order to put the gospel on display to the world. That's the point of community. That's what we need to be thinking about because Jesus gets a lot of glory out of that. That is the purpose of community. So what does that look like for us? What does that mean for us, for our community groups? Um, and what does that mean for community in general? Um, is it What we do if you're not involved in a community group? What we basically do is most community groups have a weekly meeting for Bible study accountability um, fellowship as it's talking about in 1st John and then we do a monthly local missions project where we serve the city those are great things those are awesome things Um, but what I've been convicted of is there's so much more to community that we're missing there's there's a lot more to it and when I think about community groups and the community group I'm a part of I think about a meeting I think about that weekly gathering. That's our community group, but that's just a meeting. Community is something that you have between people, and that's what I want to talk about, what that looks like, um, and what I what I believe and what I've been challenged with is that community is more about inviting people into your life and less about a meeting. It's not about gathering here. It's not about gathering in someone's home just once a week. It's about Doing the normal things of life That you do on a regular basis Together with others It's a revolutionary concept (laughs) Not really It's really simple It's so simple But it's so powerful Um, And and this is what I think it looks like And what This is really all from that total church training Um, Think about the normal things you do In your week Think about the normal things you do On a regular basis And invite others to do those things with you Invite people, if you're in a community group, invite those people. Or invite other people that are in the church, other believers, to do those things with you. Um, We all eat, right? Is there anyone here that, that doesn't eat every day? Okay. We can eat together. And in those times, we can get to know each other. We can love one another. We can serve one another. The things that we accomplish in our community group meetings can happen there to a greater and deeper extent. We can put the gospel on display to the world by doing life together. Um, Some other things, a lot of us, probably not all of us, but a lot of us, simple stuff. We go grocery shopping, right? If you're a student, you study at some point, hopefully. Um, You can exercise. You can do whatever. It doesn't matter. Whatever the normal stuff of life that you do, do it with others. And um, really what, what I've been challenged with is, I wait for the invitation. I'm not initiating those times, but I sit around and wait for others to invite me. And we all need to be proactive in inviting others into our lives. We all need to do that. And remember through that that the purpose of it is to glorify Jesus. There are social networks. There are friendships that between people that aren't Christians that they do things together. And so it's not just about spending time together, but it's about, in those times, loving one another and putting the gospel on display by showing the love that Christ has for us to each other. The second part of this, and how that's, that's getting the gospel deeper into Christians. In order to get it wider through Christians, we have to invite unbelievers into our lives also. Those things that we do on a normal basis, when we eat and get together with another couple or another family or some friends in our community group we invite unbelievers into that too we take an interest in their lives we get to know them we ask them about their lives we show them the gospel by loving them and as the point the fourth point i believe we tell the gospel to them the gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ we're all sinners We all need a Savior. If we die without faith in Christ, we are lost and we'll spend eternity in hell. That's the truth. We want others to see that. We want others to come to know Christ, to have fellowship with us, and to have fellowship with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. That's what we desire to see. And how we do that is by inviting them into our lives by telling them the gospel, and by showing them the gospel. There's no trick to this. As I started thinking about this, it's so simple, it's so easy to do. We just have to do it. I started thinking about what, what, would, what would prohibit me or hinder me from doing this. Nothing except me not doing it, being lazy, or not being intentional to do it. It's so simple, it doesn't require us to plan in Really, really intense and involved events every week or, or whatever, just do the things you normally do with people, believers and unbelievers. The gospel goes deeper into Christians and wider through Christians um, throughout the first chapter of First John and other places in scripture it 's so clear um, that god 's commanding us to do this it 's not optional it 's not a choice that we can do if it 's convenient. In John 13, Jesus gave his disciples a new commandment. Not a request, not a something you can try, but a commandment. To love one another, he says, as I have loved you. We're to love one another as God in Christ has loved us. And I think that looks like so much more than a meeting on, on Sundays and then maybe a meeting through the week. We have to put the gospel on display to unbelievers, and we have to invite them into those times in order for them to see it. Otherwise, we're the lamp or the light that it talks about in Matthew that gets put under a bowl. No one can see it if we're just with ourselves, but we have to invite others into that, and I've been convicted of this. I have been um, challenged to do this, and starting, hasn't really started this week, I've Um, Started in the past weeks as God's been convicting me of it. But I'm being intentional about inviting people into my life, believers and unbelievers. And I've been praying for you, and, and I challenge you to do the same, those of you who are Christians, to invite people into your lives, whether you're young or whether you're older or whether you're in the middle, whatever age you are, if you believe in Jesus, invite people into your lives, believers and unbelievers. Be that light and put the gospel on display to the world.
0: All right, thanks, Ben. Um, if, if we truly believe that this is a spoken faith and that our highest joy can come only in Christ, then this is, this is absolutely true. We have to invite people into our life. Let, one little caution here um, we're not saying that you need to be party planners, all right? I'm not saying invite people, in, he, and Ben's not saying invite people into your home. And have a little party. Because you have a party, you can have that once a week, and you can check it off. You're just having another meeting where you're not doing a Bible study, but you're having a barbecue. We're not saying be party planners. We're saying invite people into your life. Where you're going. You have the best message there is. This is a proclaimed faith, and our highest joy comes into it. So we comes from it. So we encourage you to invite people into your life. Which means, unquestionably you need to have something going on in your life that's worth inviting people into, specifically Jesus. Right? Pretty obvious there. So let me go into this next this next point. Um, we're, we're inviting people into fellowship. A, was we're inviting people into the fellowship of the church. B, we're inviting people into fellowship with the Father and the Son. It says it right there. Um, so that you two may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. Which means... When we invite people into our church fellowship, or your home and your life, I want to say more, um, with other believers, unbelievers, whatever, all of them, people who trust Jesus, people who don't, you're all getting together, you're inviting people into your life. When you do that, then you're also inviting them into fellowship with God. Now, they might not know Christ right away. It's saying that. And I I want to ask you a question. This is pretty amazing. I was thinking about it. This is a pretty big statement. Would you presume, as John is, to tell others, um, I'm telling you about Jesus uh, so that you can have fellowship with us. I want you to have fellowship with us because if you have fellowship with us, you're having fellowship with the Father and His Son, Jesus. It's a pretty strong statement. I think that all of us should strive to let that be the truth of our lives. That we are inviting people in we're not perfect. I'm not, I'm not saying you're perfect at all. But your life should be walking with Christ, inviting people in, that whenever you're, whenever you're invite people into your life, you are inviting people into fellowship, not just with you in the church, but with Jesus himself. All right. Um, and why should they want to have fellowship with you? Why should they want to hang out with you? What would be the great thing about hanging out with you? Well, why would somebody want to hang out with me? It's not because of me. It's because of Jesus. So it's the same thing. The reason why people would want to hang out with you is because you have the best news ever. The best news ever. Think about that. If, if they don't know him, you have the best news ever that they can hear. Um, so they go hand in hand. Fellowship with us, fellowship with the church, fellowship with Jesus. And so we want to invite people into this. Um, we're going to close here. and just, I don't know if you have children, but uh, one of the things I've noticed as, as children are kind of growing up is... Um, they're, they learn to, you know, they learn to to drink stuff. So first it's the little sippy cup kind of deal, and eventually it's it's a glorious day for them when they can move to a straw, um, and they can actually. We ha- we have these one straws that you know do this whole little deal, and it finally comes up to us. Um, before we do the crazy one, we just do the regular straw, um, and and some of the grossest thing comes in life whenever children are first learning to drink from a straw and eating at the same time. Because they don't understand, like you chew your food, after you chew your food, then you get your drink, and they don't understand that that this gravity and when you... Eat and you still have food and you drink, then it goes right back down into it. So, like, some of the nastiest, most disgusting things. And we'll have our drink, Christy and I, and we'll be so happy. we like, we're liking our drink, and all of a sudden it gets kind of stolen from, from under us, and they, they drink it. And we're like, oh, no, ah, oh, well, that's your drink. I don't want that. It's just float, disgusting grossness all in there, and we're like, that's yours. I'm going to go get my own. Um, and so, it's just constantly like, it, when you think about it, it, it's a display of dad. Kind of rejecting the child. Uh, You are gross. That is nasty. I'm not interested in that. Um, fellowship with God is the exact opposite. He is inviting you to come to Him. However gross you are in life. However, there's never rejection by God for your grossness. As a matter of fact, um, your wretched, gross sin is exactly why he's saying, come to me, I can forgive that completely. He's never going to reject you. He's never going to turn you away. If you come to him, all of it is forgiven. He's not like us, earthly dads, who have kind of parameters that we can say, okay, you can come in, oh, that's a disgusting move. (laughs) God is always inviting us into, no matter how wretchedly sinful we are, no matter what you're involved in right now, it it does not matter, I don't care how sinful you think you are right now, God is inviting you into fellowship with Him. Fellowship with Him. So here's here's what I want to do. If you don't know Jesus today, if you would say, I am not a believer, I know that I'm not a believer, become a Christian today. Put your faith in Christ today. You can talk with the person you came with. Um, If they're a Christian, you can come talk to me. You can talk to Ben. You can talk to Cameron. Whoever you want to, um, become a Christian today. And for those of you that are Christians, what I want you to do is take out this card. It says Remedy Church Community. On the other side, it's got I Want Community. Go ahead and grab that. You should have gotten one of those on the way in. They should be all around here. Um, Go ahead and pull that out right now. If you don't have one, maybe slip your hand up. Uh, Ben will bring you one. All right, this is what I want you to do. Go ahead and fill this out. Fill this out now. At Remedy, one of the best ways that you can experience sanctification, which just means becoming more Christ-like, is what we've designed through community groups. We're not saying that it's going to a meeting and, and doing a Bible study, doing accountability, and serving in the city, because you can just check those boxes and feel good about yourself doing something once a week. All right? Um, what I want you to do is fill this out, because we're inviting you to invite yourself into other people's lives, and we want to place you into other communities in our in our church, these little community groups, inviting them into their life so that you can start doing life with people. All right, so what I want you to do is just fill that out. I want community. If you want that, if you want to be invited into, and it's never been God, God's design not to be invited into a church body if you know Christ, if you want to be invited into life, invited into community, fill this out and put all the information we need to know. Now, one extra step is this. If you're already in a community group, you still need to fill one out because perhaps you're in one and you would like to actually start leading a community group there's a box for that i want to lead a community group if you feel like god's um, leading you towards being in charge of trying to get people together to do life together to grow more christ-like we want you to check that last box we're going to contact you this week now normally we contact through email but we are i mean we are taking a little hunch here if you've written that you want community we're gonna we're gonna assume that it's okay that we call you this week we don't we don't try to call you too much we don't try to bug you and you know make you crazy usually it's just emails but if you write this down one person is going to try to call you this week if we don't get you we're going to try again but we're not trying to hound you but we want you to fill this out because we believe that god's design for you to grow in your walk with christ is that you would be in community we believe that so so much that we want you to, to not leave today unless you've been given the chance to join into community in remedy church um Please fill that out. At the very end of the service, when we take up our offering, you can drop that in the offering box, or plate, or whatever we call it, bowl. Um, put that in there. Um, I'm going to pray, and then as, uh, as we close, I just want you to remember, if you don't know Christ, if you do not know Jesus, to become a Christian today, um, I'll be over here. during the, We're going to sing four songs of celebratory worship, th- giving thanks to God. If you want to become a Christian today, I'll be right over here. Come talk to me during that first song, or second song, really. I'll be right here. So please... Um, come down and talk to me and I'd love to tell you how to become a Christian. Let's stand and I'll close us in prayer. Lord, I, uh, I thank you for your word. I thank you that as we look at just the beginning of 1 John, you're kind of reminding us of these aspects of Christianity. Jesus is God. There is no other way. Jesus was and is a man that we need to have fellowship with you, that our highest joy comes into being in relationship with you, that we are to be speaking or proclaiming our faith to other people. And so, Lord, I pray for all of my friends here, no matter where they are, whether they um, aren't walking with Christ or whether they are or whether they may have been at one time but have wandered far away and you've convicted their heart and they know that they're supposed to be finding their highest joy in Christ, not things, and they're supposed to be proclaiming their faith and being in fellowship with believers, whatever they have going on in their life today father i pray that you would send your spirit now to convict them to comfort them to encourage them to pull them back into right response right living correct um walking with christ this morning and God, as they, as they pray, maybe during this first song, or maybe they want to sit and, and read your scriptures again, whatever you're leading them to do, they'll do that, Father. And then they'll stand and they'll just sing and proclaim out worship to our great Savior, Jesus, because of His gospel. Lord, if anyone here doesn't know you, I pray that you would illuminate their heart, open their eyes to the truths of the gospel, and they will become a Christian today. Lord, we love you. We praise things in Jesus' name.